Hello and welcome to Empowered, the empowerment podcast where I, Imogen Barnes, embrace the power of the human spirit, storytelling, and the unity that comes from lived experiences. Tune in to be informed, inspired, and above all, hope instilled. and welcome or welcome back to Empowered. Words cannot express how over the moon I am to be bringing you this podcast today. It was a true honour and dream come true of mine to interview Mark Forbes, co-founder of EndEd, a Sunshine Coast not-for-profit community organisation who collectively support growth and expansion through the eating disorder journey. As a father of two daughters living with eating disorders, Mark is dedicated to increasing hope, understanding, compassion, and allyship in the eating disorder realm. As you'll soon hear, Ended came to be after Mark and his wife Gail opened up their homes on a fortnightly basis to parents and carers navigating the trenches of recovery. They began to witness how sharing knowledge and wisdom amongst sufferers and their families served to somewhat demystify what is otherwise a painful and confusing journey. And then Ended's mission came into light to establish Australia's first live-in residential eating disorder facility. And Dead Butterfly House, now operated by the Butterfly Foundation, holds a new name, Wandi Narita, and stands today as just that, Australia's first residential eating disorder facility. If you followed along on my personal journey, you'd have heard that a couple of months ago I myself graduated from residential treatment at Wandi Narita. Without Mark and his wife, I might not be alive today. And the same goes for all other past and future participants of Wandi Narita. And now this is not the half of what Mark and Gail Forbes have achieved to this day. I can't wait for you to hear all the life-changing work that they're doing. But before we launch into this podcast, I am just going to leave a little trigger warning for this episode. Mark and I discuss eating disorders and suicide. So if those are topics that impede your peace in any capacity, please feel free to click away now and protect your own serenity. You'll be able to find links to support systems in the show notes below should this episode bring anything up for you. You'll also be able to find the links to every organisation discussed in this conversation. Now enough from me, here is the wonderful Mark. Welcome Mark, thank you so much for being here, it is a true pleasure. Would you like to start by introducing yourself to our listeners and how you found yourself in this space today? Yeah, hi, Mark Forbes, and thank you, Imogen. Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's all about creating awareness, so the more of that happens, the better, that's for sure. So it's great to be here. Um, yeah, look, my wife and I started our charity, and Deb, about seven years ago, because we have two daughters with bulimia. Um, eldest is now 42. Um, youngest is 28. We've got five kids between us. Um, so, yeah, that drove us to do something to make a difference because we realised what was around just wasn't working, the public health systems, the, the hospitals themselves, um, general practitioners, uh, psychologists, um, 
you know, if they're honest, it takes up 1% of their training, if any. Um, so they know very little. So the, the people that um, are suffering with an eating disorder, generally they're pretty high IQ and they, they know their stuff and they do their research. So they can run rings around most professionals that they sit in front of. So out of all that frustration and, and that journey we've done for such a long time, yeah, we'd have decided to, to, to try and do something different, to try and make a difference. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely phenomenal. And I completely empathise with you in that there's so many flaws in, in the system and so many holes yeah. and people just fall through the gaping gaps and it's it costs people their lives and families, their loved ones. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Would you like to talk to us about what NDED is and what it does? Yeah, look, um, NDED, most people go, oh, end eating disorders. And yeah, that's fair enough. But the real meaning behind um, NDED is when we were at a psychologist a long time ago with our youngest, she drew a big stick figure on the board and drew a little one on the inside and said, which one are you? And our daughter said, well, I'm the big one, eating disorders, the little one. And the psychologist said, no, it's actually the other way around. The big one is the eating disorder, a little one inside you. We need to reverse this. So mum and dad, we're going to give this figure a name. We're going to call him Ed. And that sort of stuck with me. Um, I just went, wow. Because obviously when Ed's in charge, your child is not there um, because it, everything changes. The eyes, the facial expressions, the voice, the, the demeanour, everything changes. So you are talking to a different person and it is Ed. So that's the that's really the basis of Ed. That's the, um, what sort of formed our charity's name, I suppose. So we started up opening up our house every second Wednesday night to parents and carers who are going through the same journey up here at Bedina on the sunny coast. Beautiful canal home, and my wife thought it was going to be our retirement place, but little did she know <laughs> that yeah. we had other plans. I had other plans. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I've been in business all my life. So, you know, and these meetings were great. They keep growing, and we kept creating awareness and support, which was fantastic. But then I stood back and looked at it and went, Great, but where's this going? You know, where's the, where's the long-term goal? What, what is it? What are we driving towards? And everyone had the same message. There is not a residential, um, or there was not a residential uh, facility specialised for eating disorders in Australia. Um, sure, there's residential. Is it like, yeah, we can, we can do it all. We can do drug addiction, alcohol addiction, eating disorders, anxiety, depression. We can do the whole lot, no problem. Well, I'd hate to think how much money we'd spent um, believing in that. Um, over the years, but it's just not true. And it's only common sense, really, because if someone goes to a, um, a facility where they're escaping drugs and alcohol, well, they generally escape drugs and alcohol because they're not there, hopefully not there. Um, but of course, when somebody enters those facilities with an eating disorder, what's their food? I mean, and how is it treated? How are they treated differently to somebody with a drug out? They're not. So that's, you know, it's only common sense that it makes it very difficult to. To achieve an outcome so we looked to the states and found that you know carolyn coston had been doing this residential model for something like 30 years and there's something like 60 residential facilities there but it costs uh, an absolute fortune to enter those um, so then looking at that i thought well okay if we're serious we need to establish one in australia so i just jumped in my car and started driving around the coast and we didn't have any money for it but i just thought well first things first got to see if there's a right you know, a right property that meets the, ticks all the boxes here. So about the 14th property I visited was Mooloola Valley, the one 
where Wandi Nerida is now. And I remember driving down that driveway. I didn't get out of my car. I just went, oh my God, this is it. You know, it's 25 acres. It's absolutely beautiful. Had a nice old, nice established home on it with a huge horse arena and beautiful uh, vacant areas where you could start again to build something new. So I went home and said to my wife, well, I found it. And she went, that's great. But uh, I said, yeah, but we have to sign a, a contract not subject to finance. It has to be an unconditional contract to secure this property. And of course, we didn't have the funds to do it. And, and I said, yes, and? And I said, well, we're going to have to sell our home. So, yeah, that was a, uh, that was a big choice for us. So we did. We put our house on the market. Um, and we signed it unconditional with a six-month settlement. Um, but along the journey, we come across Roy Nola Thompson, local philanthropists on the coast um, in their 80s, who lost their niece to anorexia suicide. Long story short, I was at a, a business meeting with him once on a, on a breakfast and um, I went to go and he said, uh, have you found that property yet, mate? And I said, yeah, I have actually. And I've signed an unconditional contract on it. Have you got the money? And I said, well, we're selling our house to, to do that. And he said, have you got a business card? And I gave him my business card and he, and he turned to his wife and he said, Nola, we just bought this, boy, this, this guy's um, business card for a million dollars. I said, what do you mean? He said, you need the money, mate. Come round to my place. Went round to his place two days later. No paperwork, no nothing. Didn't need his name on anything. He wrote and did a check for a million dollars. Oh, my goodness. Can I say I have goosebumps right now? That is the biggest yeah. understatement of the world. <laughs> that is the most wholesome story I've ever heard. Oh, it was such a surreal moment. And it's hard. <clears throat> It's hard not to get emotional, uh, even now, about yeah. that. So, yeah, we had then had the million dollars, but we'd already had a contract on the house and we needed 1.4 to buy the land anyway. So we sold our house. Um, and then um, I, went, I, I went to every business community meeting I could find and rounded up 40 companies who agreed to help us. We had architects, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, um, plumbers, contractors, all of those people donated their time for nothing. Wow. We bought in a million dollars worth of in-kind to actually design and help deliver that, that property. And then um, along the way, Andrew Wallace, our local federal MP, who currently is the Speaker of Parliament, but now with the Labor government, he, he's going to lose that as the next when Parliament sits again. But he, his daughter has bulimia. Um, so he joined our meetings uh, at our house, our fortnightly meetings, ended up, he became a patron of our charity. So he took me to Canberra on a number of occasions. I met with Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison and Greg Hunt and everybody down there knew who Ended was. So we ended up, um, they, Greg Hunt agreed to give us $2 million to help fund the building of the residential. So with the two million and the in-kind one million that we had, that was enough to build it. But Greg Hunt at the end of it, before he handed the money over, said, listen, we haven't dealt with your charity directly from a federal level. Um, we've only dealt with Butterfly Foundation. So you'll have to do a partnership with the Butterfly Foundation so you can get the funds. And we're also going to give four million to the Butterfly Foundation to help them run it. Um, 
so that was that was a fantastic outcome. Um, it's not where we wanted to head with it, but we thought, well, at least Australia is going to get its first residential. So whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. So we basically handed over 60% of uh, ownership of everything we'd done to the Butterfly Foundation without receiving a dollar back. It was all just handed over. And then the federal government came good with the money. But when I went down for the with Andrew Wallace to Canberra, for the announcement, Andrew got me in his office and said, we just, we just have to add to that a little bit. And I said, why is that? And he said, because of, well, because of what you guys initiated and started, you've, you've showed us the need around Australia. We're committing 68 million to help roll one of these out in every state of Australia. Um, so that was mind blowing. Um, and then we, so we went to the press conference with that and I was still shaking he just delivered me the information and I had to speak to that at the press conference. So that was pretty wild. Um, so from, you know, as I say, the little things, big things grow, that certainly did from our house of Bedina going, we need to make a difference to now having Wanda Nerida up and running and it's been running now for over a year. Um, although it's run by the Butterfly Foundation, um, we've moved on to other things um, as well. But um, to see that up and running and to see the people that, that come through it because we support them before they go in and when they come out. Um, it's fantastic and it's it's pinch me moment still for us that it's actually real. Yeah well I was actually one of the first participants to graduate from Wandi Narada so I feel like I in many ways owe you my life so thank you for <laughs> that and all the little like you sitting in your lounge room with your wife and your welcoming people into your home to support them is turned into what is going to save millions and millions of lives across the country in time to come. So you're extraordinary. And thank you on behalf of all of Australia who now have a, a place to go that they're seen and not slipping through the cracks. And you've made yeah. a difference that will, that will literally impact the rest of the country for a really long time. It's not even something you haven't just meant made a dent. You've made a massive mark in this, in this, space it's incredible yeah thank you and what did you think when you drove into the property it's the Pretty most special. majestic thing isn't it words cannot describe yeah. it it's like yeah you could almost be somewhere very yeah maybe in indonesia or something it's very tropical mm. it's instantly very tranquil it's beautiful and it's it's saving lives every single day yeah that's fantastic what is and Ed working to do now? What is what's the next well, plan? We've moved on to um, establish the End Ed House of Hope at Wombai, which is only 20 minutes away from that residential. It's north of the residential. Wow. Because I always thought, well, I looked at the alcohol drug addiction model and they do have the residential like we've now established, but they also have a transitional house because it's, it's pointless sending people straight back home. Because 60 days isn't the answer. 60 days is the start yeah. to find the answer. Um, so I always knew that we needed a transitional house and a supportive house. So to me, when Butterfly took over to run that, um, I then turned to, okay, next stage is where is this transitional house? And um, Luckily, up here on the Sunshine Coast, it's, it is a great community. There's around 60,000 people here, but it's still a very much a community. 
and a, a, we have an NZ150 club. So a lot of our, some of our funds come from businesses who join our club at $150 a month. And luckily some of them are real estate agents. So I put the word out what I was looking for. And one of them said, I think if I found what you want, you know. So he took me to this Wombai house. And again, I drove into that place, went, oh yeah, let's go. This is it. This is it without a doubt. Um, so we raised the funds, got the funds to, uh, to buy it. So now our charity owns that property outright. Um, it's a nine bedroom home on 2.7 acres. Wow. Yeah, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful old Queenslander. Um, and the 2.7 acres backs onto a bit of a rainforest. And I always had in mind, you know, the horse arena at Wandy. Yes. Well, I always had in mind, I had landscape architectural plans done that turned that into a peaceful park with a stream running through the middle and bridges and yoga platforms and veggie gardens, all that stuff in there. Um, unfortunately, that never eventuated, but we've now used that. Um, at the House of Hope. So we're currently remodeling the 2.7 acres. So it's going to have a waterfall, a stream, a bridge, pathways, yoga platforms, veggie gardens, herb gardens, but just a, a really peaceful park. Um, and the beautiful thing is it's got a side entry to the property. So we're also inviting said to other community groups here because we're not, we're not a silo of information. Whatever we learn or whatever we have, we're just, we want to share to help whoever we can. So we've said to other community groups, look, we as Embed won't use this peaceful park for some time. So let's, once it's open, let's set up a roster so other community groups can use that peaceful park space. So it's, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, we now employ um, three full-time lived experience recovery coaches and three part-time. We really need to raise funds to employ about eight to 10 full-time because of demand and what we need to do. Um, and out at the House of Hope, although currently it's got a little bit of flood damage, which we're getting the insurance company to sort out. But um, what the girls do is run uh, work support groups there. So we've got 46 volunteers on our books as well. And majority of them are lived experience. So they come and volunteer their services to teach Pilates, yoga, music, um, sound therapy, um, sewing, pottery, you, you, kitchen series, um, food series. So you name it, having all these volunteers from all these different modalities come in, it's absolutely amazing because, you know, what it's like, you need to find what's your point of interest. And, and this is where the medical system gets it wrong. They try to fit everybody in a square and go, you must be in the square, you know, yeah, whereas yeah. we go, we're all different and let's help you find something of interest to you that can can, can connect you to this space Absolutely. so that's what yeah so that's what the house of hope is about um so it's a very it's it's a transitional space for when people do leave Wandy and need extra support but it's um a supportive space and more importantly it's a hopefully a preventative space where people can come and get enough support to go you know what i don't need to spend money on that residential program. I can get what I need here. Um, so yeah, that's the purpose behind that. It's just, it's remarkable. And what I love so much is that it just takes into appreciation that there is a whole person at play here, not just an eating disorder. Yeah. And you really get to nurture that whole, the whole context of that individual's life. And 
you can really create a withstanding recovery when you're working on it day to day and you get to face your everyday challenges. You get to face everything that comes up and you get to really heal so that you never, so you never have to, you know, if you don't heal what you've hurt, you're never going to mend, right? Yeah, exactly. You actually get to heal your whole self in that kind of situation. And, oh, you're so right. For anyone who doesn't understand, like, other in in the context of treatment for eating disorders in Australia, there is basically up until now only ever been inpatient or outpatient. And, you know, whether or not you were inpatient was pretty much determined by your medical status, which we know is not how you measure an eating disorder's severity. And when you did come out of those environments, even if you made it in there, you there was no support, there was no structure. And you went mm. from, it was literally all or nothing. And so I think this is really going to change the face of eating disorders in Australia and offer people an actual chance at hope and recovery. Because that hasn't been available before. And I don't think yeah. a real appreciation of what an individual's life and recovery could look like was actually taken into consideration until now. Yeah, no, thank you. It, and we do see the results there. You know, We also put in a, a magnesium pool there. And in the summer that we've, you know, we're now into winter, obviously, but it, in the summer that just went, it was amazing to hear laughter coming from the pool where girls were just jumping in. And we, we purposely built the pool so it's got a lot of bench seating all around it. So they're sitting in this magnesium water, laughing and just enjoying each other's company. And you go, wow, that's that's really special. And then the kitchen series that are run, you know, there's no set times for eating or anything. And we get in um, lived experience chefs who who will start to prepare food and go, oh, could you, would you like to get involved? You know, can you help us with this? You know, and that's the beauty of having the veggie and herb garden once we've got it established there. Oh, look, we're going to cook this today. Could you go and pick it for us, you know, and be a part of it? I'm not asking you to sit and eat it if you don't want, but just be a part of it, you know. And then eventually you see the difference changing where some girls bring their own ingredients or, or things like that. So, you know, it's just a subtle, it's just that subtle approach that there's, you don't have to take part. You can sit there and do nothing if you like. We've had people turn up in their parents' cars and go, oh, I don't want to get out. I don't want to get out. But the parents will sit there till it's all over and I'll drive away. Next time they come, that, that person gets out, you know, and just that small step of getting out of that car to go, I mean, okay, I'll take part in this. It's, yeah. It's beautiful. Cool. And it, it's uh, so much of treatment for eating disorders is very prescriptive, just like, mm. you know, it's, um, it's almost punishment, you know, um, yeah. it's punitive. And I love that you know, the house of hope welcomes that element of choice and taking that accountability to recovery, but it also not being forced and feeling like, I don't know, for me, at least it was such a deterrent from even wanting to recover because it was just so punitive. And so to to be able to elect to say, no, I want to do this. I want to do what's comfortable today. And I'll take, this as a step and I'll take a different step another day. And no one's going to punish me if I don't do it right. Or it's, it's, it's wholesome. And it's actually, it, it actually encourages recovery rather than deterring people from it yeah and having lived experience girls run those support groups that's the key you know you can't put a price on that psychiatrists might charge you 800 bucks an hour but what a lived experience recovery coach can bring to that to that group is priceless you know it's 
it is unbelievable. And we know most people um, journey hard through all this, families financially under a hell of a lot of stress. So we make it very accessible. If somebody's got an NDIS program, great, we can tap into that. If they haven't, we charge 10 bucks a session, you know, to be a part of it. So it's ours, we're so community driven and so community based that we work with community as much as possible to um, help us fund the model that we have. Uh, So then community gets take up in it. Then they go and go, we can go, see, this is where your money's being spent. Come and have a look, you know? So they, they get buy-in and that's powerful uh, because a lot of times they just donate money and they don't see where it goes. Uh, And then they learn, oh, that went to that charity that 60% went to overheads. Well, we don't have overheads, you know, my wife and I work full-time voluntary, always have, always will in the charity. Um, yeah, as I said, our volunteers, uh, our support people are volunteers. We employ, sure, we employ six girls, um, but the House of Hope, we the charity owns that, so there's no payments to be made. We've got a company who just come and install 13 kilowatt of solar on the roof, so there's no power bills, you know, so we run as lean as, lean as we possibly can, so any money raised goes straight to employing our girls. Yeah, and it's so accessible. That's the, That's what stands out to me so much because... Unfortunately, there is a there is a price on on care and recovery ultimately in Australia, mm. and there is all over the world, unfortunately. Um, and the fact that anyone, because eating disorders don't discriminate, so you know it's unfortunate that treatment does. It's incredible to have some a, a source of hope that doesn't have a price on it. That is yeah, exactly. That is incredible. Yeah. And then, you know, we've got our podcasts. Um, Millie Thomas runs, uh, does the interviews on the podcast. We're recording season three and four at the moment. Um, season one and two, it's gone exceptionally well. It's got something like 95,000 downloads wow. in um, 124 countries. Whoa, that is incredible, yeah. the impact that that is having. Wow. Totally. Um, and we've reached out to uh, authors of uh, books that we um, that we respect and to see if they'd be take part in our podcast and they jump at it. So nobody has turned us down. So it's great now, but we, we now get people coming to us going, Hey, listen, we've listened, we've heard these podcasts. Can we, can we be a part of them? So it's, it's a beautiful library, a resource library. Um, and the good thing is you can have a look and go, and they're all titled, obviously. So you go, Oh, that, that suits me right now to listen to that one. You know? So there's something there for everybody whether it's a, a mum and dad or a brother or sister or the person with, with uh, the eating disorder. Um, and it's a great research tool. So yeah. Carolyn Costin, for instance, she's on one of our podcasts and she recently just asked, and she's been listening to some of the other ones and she recently uh, just asked if she could do another one with us. So, yeah. Wow. Well, as someone who's listened to every single episode, some, some <laughs> I'm very grateful and I think it's an incredible an incredible podcast and I think it was like the first of its kind really because podcasts seem to have really just blown up recently but it yeah. was the first that I really heard it was just so raw but and relatable which yeah. I don't think you know for so long there hasn't been a lot of it's been very hush 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 the, the um space of eating disorders you know people are, yeah. have been so worried to talk about it for so long and it was so refreshing to hear someone so many people, you know, there was, everyone was represented 
and so many people hear like speak their recovery journeys and their truths and it was priceless and it's something that yeah it'll it'll exist for so long yes it will and we'll just keep adding to it as as best we can you know as as we can afford to um because yeah as you know it does cost um a bit to, to do them but um yeah as funds come in we'll just keep pumping out the uh the series because it is very powerful yeah um the other thing would be good for your listeners too um now that we've had a change of government uh unfortunately the liberal party they put in their budget 20 million dollars because we have david coleman uh minister david coleman up here who was a advisor to scott morrison and, and minister for mental health and suicide prevention we had him up and showed him what we do at the house of hope and he only had half an hour to give us but he spent an hour and a half there because he cancelled these other meetings because he got he got talking to our lived experience girls and saw what we did he went away and he said to andrew wallace our mp um that these guys have pointed out a hole in the system that needs to be filled so in the budget they set couple of months back there's 20 million dollars in there over four years to help community organizations like ours in the eating disorder world and he has publicly when he made the announcement he publicly said the only reason that 20 million is there is because of you guys at ended showed us that it was needed now the thing is it's in the budget it wasn't an election promise or commitment so it's in the budget now the question is will labor honor that 20 million that's sitting there. Now, I, I managed to get in front of Bill Shorten uh, three weeks before the election and said, okay, Bill, if you guys win, if Labor wins, what will you do with that 20 million? He said, well, it's not my portfolio. And I said, yeah, I get that. I, I just need to know policy-wise, what would you normally do? Do you walk in there and rip everything apart or do you keep generally keep what's in the budget? He said, no, we generally keep what's in the budget and I'll get back to you and let you know. Now. I haven't heard and I keep asking, but I haven't heard. So if we need everybody who to be able to write to um, the mental health minister now, Labor, uh, Mark Butler is the new minister for Labor for mental health, just to email him and, and go, what are you doing with that 20 million? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a there's a 20 million places that that money could be in this area. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's it goes to show you, I mean, your like ended is just, it's, it's evidence that everybody knows somebody with an eating disorder. Mm. You know, you started out with just you and your wife and now, you know, everyone who's contributed has contributed because someone that they know or love has been impacted by this illness. Oh, very much so. And it's, everyone knows it's one of those things everyone's impacted by it but we just don't seem to talk about it enough and that's why yeah. i'm so yeah i'm so passionate about bringing it into light and you're right we need to we need to start being a bit a bit more vocal we need to speak to our politicians yeah, like where is our money going come on politicians yeah, definitely and and um labor the 20 millions was there are you yeah. going to are you going to uphold that to help um organizations like ours uh, to support so many people. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're we're pushing on that one. Um, just as a, another point of interest. Um, sorry, um, another initiative we started. I don't know if you've heard of it. Is the Nurture Festival? Yeah. You did? Yes. 
Okay. We had our inaugural one the other month um, and it was absolutely fantastic. Oh my goodness. And the, the whole oh. purpose of, yeah, the whole purpose of that was, you know, living on the coast, I had a look around, there was 360 uh, charities working in the mental health space on, on, on the Sunshine Coast. Um, and this went, most of them work independently and don't even know the others exist. Where we're, we bring, we try and bring everybody together. So I was with a mate of mine who has a charity for um, suicide prevention, lived experience, because he, he tried to kill himself years ago and, and, he, and he made it through. So he started a charity for suicide prevention. So he and I come up with the idea, well, well let's have a festival to, um, try and bring these community groups together. And the inaugural one was fantastic. We had 35 community groups come together. Um, we had a, a talk tent set up where organizations like ours could get up and talk about what they do to the public and have questions and answers. We had a stage set up with local bands who had their own mental health journeys and songs. Um, it started at lunchtime and went till eight o'clock at night. It was an amazing success. We had a thousand people come and go through the through the gate at the time. Again, the community and council all chipped in to help us um, put it together. And and um, and now we've got some federal funding to because again, when David Coleman was up here, we told him all about the Nurture Festival and what it could do. He went away again and said, "Well, we need to fund this." So we've now got funding in place for year two and three of the Nurture Festival. Um, which is fantastic. But what got us over the line is we said, we don't want to make it just about the Nurture Festival here. We want to roll this concept out across regional Australia. So we want from, from the funds you're giving us and the next over the next year and two, we're going to create a template from the Nurture Festival to help other regions roll out this mental health Nurture Festival across regional Australia. And we've already got Northern New South Wales, um, looking very closely at it at the moment about having nurture down there as well. So that is just so, so, is, so fantastic. Oh my goodness. It is, you know, and the beautiful thing is when, when we were there uh, that Saturday morning setting up, seeing organizations set up next to each other and start to talk to each other. Who are you? What do you do? And I know these organizations have been on a case for years. They've just never met. And I overheard one saying the other, oh, well, you, Actually, that could support my client, what you're offering. You know, so they're you know, just those simple things where it does take a whole um, family in a village to support that person. So if you can put that support around them, then you've got a better chance. So yeah, absolutely. And he, like, let's all draw in each other's strengths. Let's mm, absolutely. Mm. I don't think we do that often enough either. You know, like, let's no. actually work together. Yeah. Exactly. Do you have any advice for any fellow parents listening who might be supporting a loved one through an eating disorder at the moment? Yeah, look, I think the biggest advice I could give, and, and generally if people ring that number on our website, that's my mobile, so quite often I answer the phone. Um, and generally people are, are reluctant to, they don't know where to start to tell the story because it's the first time they may have spoken about it. And I normally just go, listen, it's okay. There's nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard or seen or been a part of. Um, and please don't feel any shame, stigma or guilt around this. Um, it is generally genetic based. Um, so first question I, 
I often say is um, have a think about your family tree. And nine times out of 10, someone will go, oh, Auntie May or Uncle Bob <laughs> or whatever, you know. So there's a connection there. Um, so when people get that, you can feel a sense of relief straight away going, oh, my God, okay, I've been blaming myself all this time. Well, it's not necessarily so. Um, sure, it, you know, it'll be a trauma or a trigger that brings it into action, but it was, it was there underlying um, generally, initially anyway. So I think if, if the best thing for parents and carers, take away the shame, guilt and stigma to start with and be open to share it um, and talk about it um, because hiding it only works in the eating disorder's favour. Um, it wants that isolation and disconnection. So if you can beat it at its own game and go, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you that. I'm, I'm going to bring you out in the open. We'll fight it out in the open, you know. So I think really that's the big first step for parents and carers to understand they're not alone and it's not their fault. I was going to say, I feel like the thing that a lot of parents carry on their shoulders is the, the guilt that they feel that they might have caused their, their loved yeah. ones' eating disorders. And I can say as someone who's had an eating disorder that my parents definitely did not give it to me and I have not met one single person who says that their parents caused their eating disorder. Like yeah. you said, our genetics often load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger, whatever the exactly. environment is. Exactly. And yeah. You're right. Like having conversations and like bringing it out into the open. That's such a good analogy. That's what needs to happen because the eating disorder just thrives in silence and secrecy. And when you can put that shame aside and address the problem as a family, that's when it's offers you the best chance at healing. Exactly. And then, you know, it's, it is very difficult. It's a difficult thing unless you live with it under your roof. Um, it's a very difficult thing for people to get their head around what it's like. So to me, then I would, I, I go to the parents and care. I'll direct you to our podcast. Have a look through there. You'll find something in there that will help you. Or if you've got a friend who's saying, what can I do to help? Or what you can do to help to start with, if you're genuine, is to try and understand a bit more about it. So get on those podcasts yourself and have a listen. So you can get a bit more of a handle on it and then you can be my friend to help me with this, you know, yeah. instead of going, oh, really? Have you thought about doing this? Oh, really? Is, it, is your child still got that? I didn't know that, you know, um, generally not helpful. So you really need to understand more about it. And that's the best thing a family member or a friend could do because, I'm, you know, yourself, unless you, it's under your roof, you, you've got no idea what it's like. No, absolutely not. And I know that in speaking from my mom's experience, she's had people who don't understand and their, you know, ignorance is bliss in that they, they don't have it under their roofs. And so they haven't had to understand, but she's had people that have said things like, oh, you know, just make her eat or, you know, yeah. what were you like? What was the, what was the house like growing up? Did you speak a lot about bodies? And my mom would go, no. And, you know, thank you. We did try making her eat. Lo and behold. Yeah. Shocking that we tried that one. Um, and it's just that lack of understanding on any everyone's on many people's behalves. Just yeah. how difficult it actually is. You know, it's it sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Like you'd think um, just eating, if that actually worked, um, <laughs> we'd actually probably wouldn't be here sitting here, would we? <laughs> no, no. And you know, um, it's it's even been hard for my family or my parents um, to understand to get their head around. Um, they try, but it's difficult unless you live it, live with it. 
Um, but, you know, as, unfortunately, our daughters have other addictions. And my father, I remember having this conversation with him a couple of years back. He said, I don't understand addictions. You know, you, you can surely, surely if it's doing you harm, you just don't do it anymore. Or if, if you're doing something and um, you feel you need to stop it, just stop it. And I said, so you're not an addict, Dad. He goes, no, I'm not an addict. I said, well, you've lived, you've worked all your life for yourself. And every morning you get out of bed and every, I remember you tell me as a kid, time and time again, unless you have a project, you wouldn't get out of bed. You wouldn't have to do it yourself. You need a project to keep you going. That's your addiction. And that's a heart, you know, that's got its own pluses and minuses along the way as well. But you can see the penny drop that, oh, okay. Yeah, I do get a little bit of an understanding. So, you know, an addiction doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol or drugs. No, absolutely. Family. Absolutely. And it's, it's everything that we do, every behavior that we have, it serves a purpose. And, mm. you know, it's just what those behaviors are that, you know, it seems to determine how we, how we judge them as, you know, yeah. as people and as a society. And it's, it's such a shame that there is so much shame laced around this, the things that aren't choices, you know, addictions, eating disorders, none of these things are choices and they're not things that you elect to do because they bring you joy. You know, they're, yeah. they're awful and oh, sufferers and their families know, they know exactly how awful it is and no amount of talking, you know, no amount of, you know, sense can bring you around to it because you, you're completely aware of what you're doing and it's, it's an illness like any other. It's not, it's not something you choose to do. No. What was your family's experience like? What was it like to have someone, two people, under the same roof with an eating disorder was that well um my eldest is from my first marriage so this is the thing too um georgia is from my wife's first marriage so they're not related oh wow um, yeah it was just when my eldest my uh, eldest as i said is now 42 she developed at 16 um and of course back then we had i had no idea what the hell was going on at all um and I was one of those people, you know, fathers that males that, oh, I can fix this thing. Um, it's like anything else, just need to fix it. Well, no. <laughs> um, so then um, when I met my, met my wife um, and Georgia was only four at the time um, and she developed bulimia at 14, I just went, oh, goodness. So the universe is sort of saying, hey, you didn't do anything the first time. You guys better do something the second time. So that's the sort of way we looked at it. Yeah. But um, so completely different experiences because in my first marriage, because I was so naive to what was going on. And yeah, I, I tried, I took our daughter to um, actually um, Bronte, Bronte House in, in Brisbane when that was first um, Footprints of Angels, when that was first opened. Yeah. Uh, first took Lee there um, and then tried different, a few different psychologists and things. But, um, and I know I easily thought, yeah, well, that's fixed. It's all good. But, uh, you know, it wasn't. Um, but then when uh, I was, when Georgia was living with us um, and that was at that canal home that we had, um, George was living with us at the, at the time. Yeah. And, you know, we, again, we tried a lot of different things like, and Georgia would be at that point where she would want to, had it, she had enough of it and she'd want to get rid of it and but she'd sit there and next to us to go I can't believe you can't hear the voices 
screaming in my head. They go, what do you mean? She said, well, they're that loud. It beggars belief that you can't hear them. They're that loud in my head and they're tearing me apart, you know. Um, so having that reality of hell, that must be, um, yeah, is, is, um, is pretty sad. But yeah, we'd, we'd sit, we tried a lot of things. We, George would say, yes, okay, I want, I want to change this. So tonight, how about we sit down and um, sit down for meals like we always would do, but I'll eat with you and then I'll have enough. And then can you lock up and chain up everything, the fridge, the pantry? So during the night, when Ed comes calling, I won't be able to feed him. So, um, you know, we tried that. We drilled a hole in the fridge, put a padlock through it, chained the pantries, and that's what she wanted to try and do. And that worked for a while. Um, we actually started to get some night's sleep instead of being woken up by pots and pans and smell of food. But then, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks of that, and um, Ed, the, Ed the beast, he, he won. He sort of broke through the pantry in the end anyway. So that didn't really work. Um, so we did try a lot of things together, um, but unfortunately we didn't, there was no charity around like ours uh, at the time that we could find. Um, certainly no residential program. <laughs> that, no. And we, as I said, we, we tried so many others that promised to fix everything um, and do it all together, which was, yeah, yeah. as I said, common sense why it wouldn't work. Um, so unfortunately, there wasn't anything like that around at the time. So um, we just had a fundraiser last Friday night up here for our charity um, at the Calandra Turf Club. And my wife spoke at it for the first time and I spoke to it as well. And it's hard, to, you know, it's hard to stand there and go, you know, both of our girls are still struggling. And unfortunately, we can, they're the only ones that can really help themselves now. Um, we're always here, but all we can do now is help others so they don't have to go down that path. So that's what we're and it is all about. Um, and of course, we'll do anything and everything to help ours. But they're that old, they're of that age now that they're the only ones that really can decide their future. Yeah, it's a testament to just how strong the illness is, isn't it? That you can literally go to the extreme of locking things up and the illness will take over and, and mm. demand that you listen to it. And that's a very, um, like, it's a good way to try and explain to people who just can't conceptualise the strength of the illness to say that. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not as simple as, you know, I'm full now, I'll stop eating or yeah. just eat. You know, if it were that simple, you wouldn't have these illnesses and this group of illness wouldn't have any kind of mortality rate associated with it. Yeah. And it has a very yeah. high one. You know, these are, these are beasts like we need to attack it like we do cancer you know there's no mm. difference it's just a different different in, yeah. in your head and not your body <laughs> people yeah. seem to get lost there <laughs> well it's the highest mortality rate of all men mental illnesses um, yeah and there's so many fly under the radar that public would not be aware about no. but thanks as i was saying at our fundraiser on friday night you know look at the population of the sunny coast three hundred sixty thousand. If you look at the national average that we perceive it to be, that means there's about 27,000 people on the coast with an eating disorder. But as you know, it's not just that person with the eating disorder. The average uh, family is 2.7 members. So that's 63,000 people 
on this small population directly impacted by an eating disorder. And that's just that, that's just that direct family. You step outside that to the to the relations and the and friends and things like that. So that's why it's not hard to find a connection when we do talk on the coast here. And uh, people come up to me later and go, oh, I didn't want to put my hand up, but can I talk to you about this or that, you know? So it's not hard to find a connection. No. And thank goodness for Ended for bringing this, this awful illness into the light finally and offering people a chance at a life beyond it because you've done just that. You are giving people a chance at a life that is not dictated by a disorder anymore and that is a phenomenal thing and thank you thank you so much for being here is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with uh look i just think there is a like our tagline of our charity there is hope and there always is hope um and just you know don't be afraid to reach out and please don't feel shame or guilt um or let's let's get rid of the stigma attached to it absolutely and just so all our listeners know i will tag everyone in the show notes below i will tag ended i will tag your fabulous podcast i will tag wandy narada i will tag the butterfly foundation i will tag everybody so that we can all come together and fight this illness fantastic thanks for having me on the on your show (laughs) 